0: Let's go ahead and pray this morning. Father, you are so good. You are so worthy of our worship and our praise. And I thank you that we've been able to, as one voice, as one body today, to speak the same things about you in song. And Lord, I thank you that Many of us have, by your grace, been able to believe the things that we have sang this morning. Pray for those today who have not yet believed what they have sung. I pray, Lord, you do a great work in lives and in hearts today to bring about conversion, to bring about faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I want to praise your name for this good report from Lily and how you have answered prayers, how you have been so merciful in this. We thank you. Father, I pray for Jacob and for the others who are uh, in Las Vegas preaching the gospel this morning. Lord, please awaken dead sinners through the preaching of the gospel. For We know, Lord, that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Lord, may that gospel that is proclaimed, fall on good ground today there and bring forth much fruit. For We know your word says, but as many as received him, to them gave he the right to become children of God, even to those who believed in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Bless me now, please, fathers, I try to deliver your word to your people. Help me. And please help us all to hear and to believe that which is spoken in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. I want to read one verse from Matthew 16 and then one from chapter 18. And then we will jump to John 20. So uh, if you'll find Matthew chapter 16. These first two verses that I'm going to read are... Jesus's words to his uh, disciples, <clears throat> or all the disciples were present. We'll get into exactly who they were spoken to in a little bit. Matthew 16, and I want to read verse 19. The title of today's message is Binding and Loosing in Church Life. This is in the series that we're currently engaged in, which is called Life in the Local Church. Um, Verse 19 says, And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Some of your translations say will have been loosed or will have been bound. All right, now if you'll go over to chapter 18, verse 18. Matthew 18, verse 18. And yes, this is the word of the Lord. It says there, Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, if you could go to one more place, John chapter 20. John chapter 20. Verse 23. The Gospel of John, chapter 20, verse 23. Scripture says, If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. May the Lord bless the reading of His word. If you please go back with me to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, binding and loosing in church life. The two passages that we first read in Matthew are the first two places, and probably the only two places in the Gospels where the word church is used, ecclesia. Uh, in chapter 16, it is the very first place that it's used in the New Testament. That word church is used, I'm told, 114 times in the New Testament. 90 of those times refers to the local assembly. The other 24 times refers to the church universal. We've talked about both aspects of the church, the church universal and the church local. The first one here in Matthew 16 is in reference to the church universal. We'll see it in just a second now. I need to say one more thing. If you have missed any of the sermons in this series, Life in the Local Church, I implore you, I encourage you, go back and listen to these. You can find it on Facebook. You can find it on YouTube. You can pull up our church app and you can find sermons there. You can probably find them on Sermon Audio as well. There's, you can go to our website and find the sermons. There's no excuse, really. You can find them anywhere. Why do I want you to listen to them? Because we need to be speaking the same things. We need to be believing the same things. We need to be hearing the same things as a church body. Um, The first message that I preached in this series had to do with bringing accusations against an elder. All right, You need to listen to that and see what the Bible says about that. Uh, Last week, we talked about church division and affront to the Gospel. You need to hear that and see what the Bible says about that. And then all the sermons in between those two, if you haven't heard them, I, am, I encourage you, go back and listen to every one of them. Now, we're here in Matthew 16, and I want to begin working through this text. All right. So the first thing that we're going to see is binding and loosing in the Gospel. Beginning at verse 13. Binding and loosing in the Gospel. Verse 13, we'll just kind of ease our way through this. Jesus, uh, It says, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? I'm told that in Caesarea Philippi, there was a uh, temple built to Caesar Augustus, along with, this was historically a place of Baal worship, and it was known in the, among the Greek gods, uh, worship of the Greek gods, as the place where the Greek god Pan dwelt. So there's a lot of uh, religiosity uh, uh, connected to Caesarea Philippi. And in that place, Jesus asked His disciples, as you see there, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Verse 14. So they said, some say John the Baptist." some Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. In verse 15, He said to them, but who do you say that I am? So the first subpoint here is we see a most important question. There is a most important question that is asked here. It's asked twice. In the first form, Jesus says, who do men say that I am? The second, he says, who do you say that I am? The answer given in the first was they had a lot of different opinions about who Jesus was. And if you go out in the world today, there will be a lot of different opinions about who Jesus is. Back then, they said John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Today, they might say a good teacher, um, a, a lunatic, a liar, a liar. They may say all different sorts of things about who Jesus Christ was. And some will say, surely, that he was the Son of God. But the question is asked, and I want to say to you today, that your answer to this question is the most important thing, really, that you can answer. A.W. Tozer has said, the most important thing about a person is what they think about God. I would take that a step further to say the most important thing about a person is what they think or believe about Jesus Christ. Because it is essential that you believe and I believe the right thing about Jesus Christ. And we'll see why. If you go on in this, the question was asked, who do you say that I am? In verse 15, verse 16, Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now that, I'll tell you, Peter got it right. The word Christ means Messiah. John 1 verse 41. There, I think it was Philip came to Nathanael and he said, we found the Messiah. And then in parentheses, it says, which is translated the Christ. So Messiah means Christ. Messiah, there's so much we could talk about with that, but it's the promised one of the Old Testament that would come and deliver the people of God who would be the anointed one from God. And so Peter answers, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, not a dead God like those worshiped there at Caesarea Philippi, but the living God, the one who is alive and who remains forever and ever and ever. Now, in verse 17, notice how Jesus responded here. And let me give you that second point. It's the most essential answer in verse 16. It is a most essential answer. Next, we will see here that it is a most profound truth. There's a most profound truth here. Verse 17. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon bar Jonah. Simon, son of Jonah. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So, Peter... How'd you come up with this? How'd Peter come up with this? He didn't come up with it by sitting around and thinking real hard about it. He didn't come up with this answer by gathering together with the disciples and them taking a poll and saying, hey, who do you guys think Jesus is? He didn't listen to the public opinion about who Jesus is and figure it out that way. And I'll tell you, he did not even figure it out by reading and knowing the Old Testament Scriptures. It wasn't that alone by any means. But the way that Peter knew that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God, is because the Father who was in heaven revealed it to him. It was a supernatural work of God in the life of Peter so that he could get it. Look back if you would to Matthew chapter twenty. I'm sorry, Matthew chapter eleven. Matthew chapter eleven. It's right before this passage where we see in verse twenty eight where Jesus said, "Come to me, all you who uh, labor and are heavy laden." In verse twenty five through twenty seven, some real important words here. Matthew 11, 25 through twenty seven. All right, I'm going to read it if you'll listen. At that time. Jesus answered and said, I thank You, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that You have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. So you see here, the Lord Jesus is thanking the Father for revealing truth about Himself to these babes. In verse 26, Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in Your sight, All things have been delivered to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. Nor does anyone know the Father except the Son. And the one to whom the Son wills to reveal Him. In this passage, if you'll go back with with me to Matthew 16 along with what we find here in in verse 17. This understanding about who Jesus is comes by the graciousness of our God to reveal it to the lost sinner dead in their trespasses and sins. When the Gospel is proclaimed, that seed goes out and it falls on many types of ground That good ground brings forth fruit. That good ground has been influenced, has been drawn by the Father to the Son to believe and to be able to confess. So, uh, there's a profound truth, but we see another part of this truth in verse 18. He says in verse 18, or it says in verse 18, I also say to you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. You may have heard before that the word Peter just means pebble or stone. I can't stand up here in front of you and say that. Peter means a stone. It means a rock. It's Petros. It's the masculine form of the word rock. And it's most every time used in the New Testament for the name Peter. The word rock here in this same verse is the word Petra, which is feminine. So the word Peter is Petras. The word rock is Petra. One is masculine. One is feminine. They both mean rock. So Jesus here says to Peter, You are the rock. You are a stone. And on this rock, on this stone, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. So Jesus is saying here that on uh, this rock, And I would like to present it to you in this way, because we certainly do not believe what the Catholics believe about this. That Peter was the first pope and that there is an ascension um, from him of popes afterwards. We do not believe that that Peter is infallible. If you don't believe me, just look at verse 23 because he's being called Satan in verse 23. Okay, (laughs) so in Galatians 2, he's playing the hypocrite. All right. And he gets rebuked by Paul. So we don't buy into any of that. I love what John Stott said about this. That Peter in his confessional capacity of who Jesus Christ is, is as his, in his confessional capacity is the rock. And on this rock, this confession of Jesus Christ as the Son of the living God, Jesus is going to build His church. You notice what He says here in verse 18. I will build My church. Whose church is it? It's Jesus' church. The church that we are, that any other truly believing church is, is the church of Jesus Christ. It is not the church of a man other than the God-man. It is His and His alone, for He has shed His blood for it, and He will keep us until the end. All those that the Father has given Me, I will lose none, but raise them up in the last day, He said." So it is My church, Jesus said, I will build My church on this rock. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. When you think about gates, and this is the only time this phrase is used in the New Testament, the gates of Hades. It's the only time used in the Bible. And you might have gates of hell in your Bible. Gates is a place of judgment, of determination. If you think about the Old Testament, The elders would meet in the gates and they would make decisions in the gates. It was like the courthouse or city hall. But gates is also a place of strength because you can have great and mighty walls, but if your gates are puny, you ain't got a chance. So the gates of Hades, Jesus says, shall not prevail against it. Shall not prevail against this church that He is building. The gates of Hades have no chance against the church. Now, this is significant because the word Hades has to do with hell. It has to do with the place of the dead. It obviously has to do with death. And if you think about death, what it wants to do is claim every one of us. And it has a right to claim every one of us because we have all done what? We've all what? And fallen short of the glory of God sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And what is the wages of sin? It is what? Death. So Hades is the place of the dead. The gates want to shut us in, but Jesus is saying here, no, those gates will not prevail. The gates of Hades will not keep My people. I will build My church and those gates have no authority over Me. That's why Jesus could say in Revelation chapter 1, verse 18, that I am He who lives and was dead and I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Jesus Christ had those keys. And this is important because in verse 19, He goes on to say to Peter, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of God of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Does anybody here have will have been bound in your Bibles? That's an alternate translation at the bottom of mine. It's in the perfect tense Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. So the word bind and loose is this idea. The rabbis used to use this back in in these days where they would talk about binding and loosing. Binding meant that you would forbid someone from something. Loosing would mean that you permitted something. It was permissible. So bind it, you are forbidding. Loosing, you are allowing. Alright? So Jesus is saying here to Peter, and this is important because it really is this. He's saying it to Peter. Maybe he's representative of the church of the other disciples. But when you see the word you there in verse 19, it's you singular. It's not y'all. I will give y'all the keys of the kingdom. He's saying I will give you the keys of the kingdom. And he and I've made excuses for this in the past and not really taught this rightly. This is what it says. He's giving them to Peter. You may say, how that? Here's the deal: Who preached the very first message in the church? Peter. Who went and and preached the gospel to the very first Gentiles who would be saved? Peter. The first one happens in Acts chapter two. The next one happens in Acts chapter ten. Peter was used truly instrumentally to begin the church in the preaching of the gospel. And since then, the gospel has continued to spread. The gospel has continued to be proclaimed. And Jesus has continued to build His church. So Jesus is the one, Revelation one eighteen who has the keys. But He's saying to Peter, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And then whatever you bind on earth, Will be bound in heaven. So, in other words, let's break it down like this The gospel's preached. And you preach the gospel, people hear the gospel, they reject the gospel, or they do not believe the gospel, they disbelieve the gospel, they are, according to the standard of the gospel, bound in their sins. Because we can proclaim, if you do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will die one day and you will forever be separated from the grace and mercy of God and be under His wrath for eternity. You will go to the place of the dead. You will go to hell. You will experience the the, uh, fire that burns forever and ever. You will experience that. You will be bound by that. The gates of Hades will bind you. But at the same time, we can preach the Gospel and say, if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you shall be saved. And for all who believe, they are loosed. The gates of Hades have no power over them. For Christ, through the Gospel, has conquered death. He's abolished death and brought life and immortality to light. So, the binding and loosing, the keys that Jesus has that He will obtain through His death, burial, and resurrection, He says, I will give the keys of the Kingdom of Heaven and whatever you bind. And whatever you lose the other day we were at the ball game we were at the gym it was uh the other night and friday night and uh if, if watching the lca games and by the way if anybody wants to catch the lca games you can find it on Lions sports network okay and uh we we there's a joke behind that but we were getting ready to go the gym was shut you know getting close to being shut down we were standing there talking i said "Swinnies, load up it's time to go Sherry was sitting there talking to Brooke. Brooke, there you are, Brooke. I looked over at Sherry and I said, Sherry, I'm gone, baby. See you at home. We were riding together. I said, I'm gone. See you at home. And with the most submissive, sweet face, she looked at me. She held up the key to the car. I was like, what well, do you do? <laughs> so I just eased on out. I said, we'll leave when she gets here. <laughs> she had the power. Jesus has the power. He has the keys. And to His people, starting with Peter, He has given the church the ability to preach to men, women, boys, and girls the only way that they can be loosed from the gates of Hades. And it's through the person of Jesus Christ who rose again from the dead and who lives forevermore. Then in verse 20, you see, He commanded His disciples that they should tell no one that He was Jesus the Christ. Let's see, that's the last one there. The most high privilege. It's the most high privilege that's given to Peter. And it really is because He was able to begin what we continue today in the church. What Jesus continues to do through the church today. Point number two. We need to move quickly. If you would go over to chapter 18. Here in chapter 18 beginning at verse 15. We're going to see first of all no complicated process. This is probably not something you are unfamiliar with. However, I know that there may be some of you who are. And what we come to here in this text is what we would go to to talk, to begin a discussion on church discipline, what is called church discipline. And Jesus offers this to his disciples and therefore to us as a church. And we see, first of all, in verses 15 through 17, no complicated process. And I wish it were as true as that statement that I just made. No complicated process. As a matter of fact, it tends to be very complicated. But in verse 15, let's just read through it. I won't spend a lot of time here. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. All right, that's the first step. If you want to write down steps, that's step number one. Go one-on-one if someone sinned against you. This is for us today. If someone sins against you in this church, go to them and tell your tell him his fault. If he hears you, you've gained your brother. Here's the second part of the not complicated process. Verse 16. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more. Then by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. All right, so that's the second step that person sinned against you and they don't hear you when you go to them the first time, then uh, take two or three people with you because then every word may be established. You know what might happen in a situation like that? Those two or three people that we would hope would be unbiased people would say, you know, um, you really have sinned and you need to repent of that. Say that to that person. Or they might look at the person who brought them and say, you, this is not a sin against you. Why, why are you even bringing this up to them? Or they might just mediate between the two of them and say, the, the two of you need to understand each other's interest. You're really having the same goal here, but you're just not speaking it saying it the, the right way to each other. They might be able to bring each other together to help them here. They might point out to the person that they have sinned. Or they might point out out to the person who brought them that, hey, you really don't have a case here. There is no sin. So the two or three witnesses serves in a valuable way. In this case, he says that um, in verse 17, if he refuses to hear them. Now, in this case, it would be all three are saying, yes, you have sinned. But he refuses to hear them. It says, tell it to the church. Alright, so that goes to the third level. The third step. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. So here's the way it would work. Go to him one-on-one. Take two uh, or three witnesses with you. Second step. Third step is say, church, this sin has occurred. I've spoken to this brother about it. We have spoken to this brother about it. He refuses to hear And now, you notice what it says. If he he refuses even to hear the church, what that means is from that point, the whole church is talking to him. The whole church is addressing it. And he then refuses to hear the church. Then what Jesus says in verse 17 is let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. So basically like someone who is not a believer, someone who is not a Christian. Let's see here. So it's no complicated process. The second point that I'd point out to you is that it's no lone actor. No lone actor. In other words, there's not one individual coming here and saying, hey, I I say this about this person and this is the way it is. Everybody else needs to listen. That's not the way it works. It's not only two or three witnesses, but then it's the whole church saying, hey, it's you. You need to repent. And if they don't listen to the church, then they are treated like a heathen and tax collector. So it's no lone actor. And then thirdly, this is no small matter. Really, I need to go back to the no lone actor going through verse 20. Because you see here in verse 19, it says, Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Now, apparently, this is in the context here of church discipline the disciplining of an erring or sinning brother. Verse 20. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. So Jesus says he's there in the midst of them when two or three gather together in his name in relation to the sin of an unrepenting brother. I'm going to show you an example where this happens. If you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians 5, verse 4. Peter, I mean, uh, Jesus, no, neither one of those. Paul was writing, <laughs> Paul's writing to the Corinthians as, uh, you know, about this issue that's going on here, immorality in the church. And he actually says that uh, he's, he's already turned this individual over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. But he calls on the disciples now. Notice how this goes in verse 4. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you gather together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. That was the view of the early church, the turning over to Satan. When they're being treated as a heathen and a tax collector, they're being turned over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, not so that he would be lost, but so that he would ultimately be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. But you'll notice there in verse 4, with the power of our Lord Jesus. Now if you'll go back to Matthew chapter 18, please. Matthew 18. Remembering what I just read. With the power of our Lord Jesus. So when you are gathered together along with My Spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, in verse 20 He said, for where two or three are gathered together in My name, I am there in the midst of them with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus is saying He's going to be there with His church, with His disciples when they gather together for this purpose. And we see that in 1 Corinthians 15. All right. now, now we need to... We need to um, finish this. See in verse eighteen. Verse eighteen: "Surely I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven." So again, we see this permitting and this forbidding in the local church and this has to do with the sin of a of a believer who will refuses to repent of that so we see it see it in two different ways let's wrap this up <clears throat> binding and loosing and the forgiveness of sins first part is this sin against god which i'll just remind you of what Jesus said in John 20, verse 23. If you forgive sins, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. This is the vertical relationship between God and man where that relationship is broken because of sin. So the Gospel is preached through the church And that relationship is no longer broken, but it is healed, it is reconciled through the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Our sins before God are forgiven because of what Jesus Christ did. So that's the first aspect of it. The second is this. Sin against a brother. The reason I said this is no small matter is because these that are being disciplined in the church are those for whom the shepherd went out to find. That lost sheep that all of us were, but yet Christ came and found us, put him put us on his shoulders and brought us back. So to discipline a brother out of the church is no small matter, for this is one for whom Christ died. Now, In this passage, we see following this in verses 21 through 35 a real important story, a real important teaching that we're going to wrap up with. Because here's the reality of it, folks. There's a lot of things that people in the church can get ticked off about. There's a lot of things in the church that people can get offended about. There's a lot of things in the church that people can get divided about and not forgive. It may be sin in some cases. It may not be sin in some cases. You may just not like somebody that you go to church with. But here's the heart of what Jesus is saying to us. If you'll look at verse 21. I know we're getting long, but I'm going to read this whole thing. Please follow along. Verse 21. Verse 21. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him up to seven times? Remember, he said, Sin against me. In verse 15, sins against you. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to seventy times seven. Therefore, if the kingdom of heaven is like a certain the of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him and forgave him the debt. Verse 28. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Verse 30. And And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw that what he had done they were greatly they were very grieved and came and told their master all that he had done then his master after he had called him said to him you wicked servant i forgave you all that debt because you begged me should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as i had pity on you and his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him so my heavenly father also will do to each of you to each if, if to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses listen folks it's not about disciplining people. It's about forgiving people. The discipline comes at the very furthest end of what we can do. It is our goal to be ready and quick to forgive one another in the local church. Because Jesus Jesus has done that for us. Let's pray together. Father, I thank You for Your Word. You're so gracious to us to give us the written Word of God. Now as it's gone out, please bless it to our hearts. And uh, Lord, let us mature because of it. I pray, Lord, if anyone is still bound in their sins, not been loosed through the power of the Gospel, please today, give them grace, Lord. Reveal to them who Jesus is. Loose them, Lord, from the... Gates of Hades. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.